Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I'm recording solo today. Uh, As I frequently do, I have something from my coaching that I just got to kind of get out and uh, it's been bubbling up at the surface for me. Um, A lot of different things sort of came together and I want to share that with you guys as an audience because I think it'll be useful to you and I, I also just think, you know, Part of the point of all these podcasts is um, I have a lot of listeners, I think, who are people who are pretty creative, pretty um, big thinking type people. And I know that by sharing some of this, um, you know, it's it's I'm not necessarily providing you with the answers to the test, but uh, I am providing you with a framework for asking questions and interrogating some of the stuff within your own life. Um, so I want to talk about a, a topic that comes up quite a bit for me in the shape of coaching. And um, I was out with a team on Friday talking about motivation. So that definitely spurred me a little bit. Um, some interactions in my personal relationships spurred this, like just a lot of things came together. Um and it has to do with a way that um, I start some of the days of my life, and maybe it'll be familiar to you, and, and that is by worrying. Um, and I don't think that, that I'm uncommon in that practice. Uh, that moment that you transition from sleeping peacefully to a new day can be really jarring. Um, I know, especially for me, I the second I start to like leave my dreams where like my subconscious have been working on all this stuff, um, everything just moves away from that at like light speed. And, um, even though I have, I know like very vivid dreams on a nightly basis, um, very soon it can be very hard for me to remember what they were. Um, now I said, I start every day by worrying and I, I have been, you know, diagnosed by mental health professionals as somebody with anxiety. Um, And I'm not putting scare quotes around anxiety um, because I don't think anxiety is not real or whatever. I I just, um, I, I think that maybe the way that I've come to understand that is not the same as um, the way a lot of other people maybe understand it. And that's part of what I'm going to try to get to it. Um, you know, I, I have been, since receiving that diagnosis, I, I've tried uh, treating it with uh, both uh, prescription drugs and therapy uh, under the direction of mental health professionals. Um, and uh, I, I share that uh, because I think it's important context for what I'm about to discuss, and especially um, context for me saying that when I talk about this, it's out of my own personal experience. I'm not an expert on mental health. I, I will repeat that, uh, as many times as I need to, um, not because I'm on some mission to bash myself over the head, but actually I think it's a really good constraint to place on myself. I don't try to be an expert in mental health. That's not my goal. Um, Uh, My dad's a psychiatrist, you know, he's, he's an expert on mental health. And um, I think that that was, if that was something that I was interested in, that's what I would be doing. 
but I'm not interested in being an expert on mental health. And I, I don't promise that anything I'm about to say is in any way a diagnosis or treatment of anxiety. But I have to say that receiving, be on the, being on the receiving end of that diagnosis was a starting point for me. And by now I've realized that a habit of mine that is woven into um, my attraction to the field of positive psychology uh, is really strongly aligned um, with, with what sort of started, what, 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 what sort of started when I received that diagnosis. Um, and, you know, at this point, I, I want to try to define positive psychology again. And um, one of the things I've, I fully admit now is that, you know, <clears throat> I don't have singular definitions for anything. Um, so I'm going to try to give you a contextual definition for positive psychology as I'm about to discuss it. Um, you know, I think when I started studying positive psychology, I definitely had a certain definition of what it was. And that probably was a little bit more fixed. And the more and more work I do in it, the more it becomes contextual to me. So that's why I think it's important to always put these definitions in uh, context. I think that positive psychology is opportunity focused. Okay, what do I mean by opportunity focused? Um, I mean that positive psychology views different situations through an appreciative lens. So rather than looking at situations and trying to figure out, you know, as, as is sort of very natural for a lot of us as human beings, what is the problem and how do I fix it? That's not really the goal of positive psychology, right? It's like, let's do an analysis of this situation, but the analysis should not be you know, what's wrong, <laughs> but, um, the analysis should be, what are the opportunities? Okay. This is the circumstance. I'm going to be honest about what's going on here, about where, where I am, but what's the opportunity in this? Um, and so I think that's really important for the way that I'm going to discuss how, you know, hearing that I was anxious, um, was a, a starting point about it. But before I get into that, I know there's so many teasers and, and qualifiers in that. I do have to circle back again to the discussion of um, mental health and, and take <clears throat> another diversion, which is I got a really rare treat in podcast form last week. Um, probably a lot of you have heard me reference this before. And I, I have yet to hear from somebody that went, Hey, Chris, I heard you talking about that on podcasts. And I finally went out and read his books and like, you know, can't wait to discuss it with you. I'm waiting for that day. Um, so if you're a listener out there and you've been influenced by the recommendation I'm about to repeat again, reach out to me. I want to hear from some people, but my favorite author of nonfiction by far is a man called Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And he made an appearance on a podcast, which is an extremely rare um, thing. And uh, so I was so delighted listening to it. I'm like, my mind was just exploding listening to this podcast for um, two hours. And if you want to listen to it too and get introduced to him, um, it's a Tim Ferriss podcast. It's number 691, I believe. I think I wrote it down here. 
Um, and I just, even before I get into the discussion of what he specifically talked about and how it's relevant to what I'm doing here, I just want to give people the disclaimer. Um, he's an extremely confident person. So if you listen to the podcast and he's like dominating the whole conversation, if you're not ready for that, um, you may be really turned off <laughs> uh, listening to him. Uh, it's kind of one of those things like um, if, uh, you know, you love him when uh, when you agree with him. <laughs> and if you don't agree with him, you're going to find him completely insufferable. Um, so that's that's my warning. I happen to think he's right about a lot of things. And by the way, he is absolutely savage on the field of um, social science, which is something that I consider positive psychology to be a part of. His criticisms are withering, I think very accurate and have actually been really helpful to me again in putting constraints on what it is um, I'm doing and what are the opportunities of it um, going forward. But anyway, um, Talib uh, became, I think first, at least he, I, I heard about him first through a Malcolm Gladwell book, which is funny. If you've listened to this podcast, you know, recently I, uh, talked a bit about Malcolm Gladwell and, um, he was in a Malcolm Gladwell book. I'm forgetting, I think maybe it was outliers, but I, I don't have that written down, um, ahead of time. So you have to do your own research to find out where he was. And, you know, the, a lot of people's early exposure to him was he, he got a lot of publicity for, um, being a trader. He does not want to be called a trader. If you listen to the podcast and that's trader, T-R-A-D-E-R, um, you know, wall street trader, um, he does not want to be called that. Uh, and he prefers to be uh, referred to as a scholar. Uh, I think he's um, well qualified for that title. And I, I honestly, that's probably what I admire about him um, the most. And if there's one thing he's written about more than anything else, <clears throat> it's risk. Um, and a lot of it is about, I would say, common misperceptions of risk that make even people's natural risk aversion cause them to take actions that are actually far more risky than the risks they are avoiding. So in the process of where like people thinking they are avoiding risk, they're actually taking riskier actions. Now, how is this at all relevant to what I was talking about? You're like, Chris, stop launching your ship to the moon. Okay. I'll bring it back. I think on the spectrum of mental health, um, most people, I consider myself one of them, uh, lie somewhere in a low risk state. That is, you're waking up, you're living your life, uh, you're far from living it ideally, you know, the way that uh, perhaps you really want to live, but you're also not in the amount of mental distress that, uh, you know, the actions you're undertaking are putting you at like immediate life-threatening risk. Okay. And, um, I think if your life is at immediate risk, positive psychology is the last thing you need. Okay. The mental health field is better in my opinion, uh, than it ever has been and improving in its ability to treat acute mental health problems that put you at an immediate risk. Okay. So if, if I, um, if I myself have an immediate acute um, mental health uh, risk, which is something that's happened at least once in my life, if I somebody I care about has had one, which is, has happened more than once in my life, um, the first person I call is my dad. 
because again, he's a mental health expert and I find that he knows exactly what to do in those situations. Um, positive psychology is not for those situations. Um, but like I said, um, most of us are not in that immediately risky state. We have some behaviors that we're engaging in that may sort of be um, chronically not very good for us, um, other stuff that we're doing that is good for us. Um, and I would say the mental health field has a lot of uh, uh, to contribute in that domain as well. I'm somebody that goes to regular therapy. It's been a boon to me personally. Um, also for dealing with non-immediate risky situations, because I view um, regular talk therapy as rehab for my mind. You know, you, you, um, I went to rehab right before for my body, um, right before I went on vacation and, you know, I had had some stuff and they had said like, Hey, how long, was, how long has this been bothering you? Well, yeah, some of it had been three, four months before I went in for rehab. And I was a little embarrassed about that. But I think, you know, if I compare that to therapy, sometimes I have stuff that, you know, it's, um, it's an injury that I suffered a long, long time ago. And I'm just now uh, making an attempt to um, rehab it. So I view therapy sort of as rehab. Um, and I've said this before, I view positive psychology as a, a prehab for the mind. It's forward looking. And as I've said, opportunity focused. So with all of that established, I want to bring you back to the topic that I started this recording with, which is, quote, my anxiety. Okay. Um, the anxious thought that I have when I wake up, it is the one that is something like this, right? I, I have to get up now and start moving. There's a lot to do today. I need to be on top of things today to get it all done. If I don't get it done, then no one will do it. And I will be in an even worse position when I wake up tomorrow. So many of you are probably listening to this. Maybe you're recognizing it. Um, maybe you're judging it, right? As a, uh, as a, as a somewhat pessimistic thought, or, or maybe you aren't. <laughs> um, and maybe you're even giving yourself a hard time for having um, similar thoughts, right? But I have realized that that thought chain is an opportunity, okay? And I, I want to share that with people because I think if you're out there and um, you're worrying quite a bit, it can be hard to see that as an opportunity, but I believe it is. Okay. And in fact, stuff like I just read to you is actually a launching point for some of the highest level optimism that I have ever achieved. Um, so in that way, some of the stuff that we typically view as problems, and I'm realizing this more and more in myself, a lot of things that I can at certain junctures of my life view as problems, they're, they're often massive opportunities. And the process of learning to 
view them as opportunities. It's not something I do. Like it's not, it's not a switch I can flip when I am viewing them as problems, but it's more like I've, I've created space in my mind so that at other times when I'm not, you know, like, Oh, this is a problem. This sucks. You know, I, I, I light up and I have the opportunity for optimism and I can capitalize on it. Um, so I'm going to break this statement down step by step because I want to show you that there's actual implicit optimism in what I'm saying. Okay. Um, bonus points to you if you can see it ahead of time. Um, you go straight to the top of the class. Again, write me. I want to hear from you if you're like, oh, I, I get it, you know, before you even have to explain it. Um, love to talk to you. If not, I'd love to hear from you too. By the way, swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com. Email in. Uh, you can get stuff right on the podcast, but let me get back to breaking down this statement. Okay. So one, I'm going to do it like one clause at a time. Number one, I have to get up now and start moving. Okay. And I know all of you who have listened to me for a long time, you're going to recognize the have to in that statement. And the people who I was speaking to on Friday, if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to go like, you told us about have to and need to. And okay, let's just set that aside for a moment. Even though I know some of you are probably expecting me to challenge that piece of it, I'm going to take a different angle. Okay. Um, because the angle that I'm taking today is not as much about contesting thoughts like that as much as sort of flowing through them. So I want you to think about when you're trying to motivate yourself to do something and remember this simple fact, right? So this is like, I start with a, like trying to motivate myself to do something, get out of bed and start moving, right? Nobody tries without unwavering belief that you can do it. Okay. Nobody tries to compel themselves to do something that they believe is totally impossible. So implicit, even in a statement where I'm being hard on myself like that, is a certain level of hope that's saying, I know I can get up and I can meet the day, whatever it brings. Okay. Let's go to clause number two. There's a lot to do today. Okay. Implicit in quote, there's a lot to do is that I am planning on holding myself to a high standard, a ambitious set of tasks for the day. And the only way I can rationally justify high standards is if I look backwards in my own history and say, I am actually capable of achieving a high standard. Therefore, I forecast into the future that I can do that going forward as well. Okay. And I think, um, you know, it's very common in my coaching experience. I, I coach a lot of people. I notice this to myself that people with high standards, you know, they are going to be a little cruel to themselves, um, hard on themselves to enforce those high standards. Right. Um, but just, Take a moment to recognize that your having high standards is actually a rational argument for why you're already good, right? 
nobody <laughs> um, rationally comes to, I am going to just have a high standard in the future, even though I'm a complete failure in the past. Um, it, it comes out of some belief in yourself. Okay. Clause number three, I need to be on top of things to get it all done. Again, implicit in this is a belief in myself that I can manage the entire day and complete an ambitious task list. There is no pressure, right? I'm, I'm trying to exert pressure on myself. I need to do this, but there's no pressure without belief. I, the, the thing I say to everybody all the time is I never give myself a hard time about because I never believed I would be an astronaut, right? I never sat um, around going, you know what? Like my goal is to become an astronaut and I think I can do it. So on the flip side of that, every time you are trying to put pressure on yourself, you can, it's an opportunity to recognize that the, one of the big reasons you're putting pressure on yourself is that you actually believe in your capability. You believe that you're capable of doing something and that imbues you with some emotional energy behind it. Um, and that emotional energy will come out both, you know, through positive emotions and it'll also come out negatively. Um, and the range of those things is because of the emotional resonance that you have given it. Clause number four. Um, if I don't get it done, then no one will do it. It's a little bit of a different flavor than the other statements. So it's a little bit of a different opportunity. So usually, right, in a lot of one way that I would go about cognitively uh, modifying this is I would, you know, contest it, um, you know, and, and try to get people to see that like, yeah, other people can help, right? Like you're not alone, but I'm not covering that solution here in this podcast. Let's just say you take that statement you made to yourself at face value and believe that, um, and want to reflect it back positively. If you honestly believe that unless you do something important, then no one will do it. then you must also believe that you take responsibility for really important things that no one else is taking responsibility for and regularly, competently achieve them. Right? Again, within each of these statements, something like that is implicit. My final clause, I will be in an even worse position tomorrow. Okay. I want you to imagine how much optimism it takes to imagine every day that, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit of miserable, a little bit of, a little bit of miserable, a little bit of misery. And that you're standing on this knife's edge of potential further misery. And you just sort of get up and throw your will into creating a better tomorrow. That's pretty optimistic, right? And by now, I kind of hope that you see the through line um, and you see the opportunity in this that within each statement that, um, you know, on its face is a little bit pessimistic, a little bit um, self-defeating, 
if you can step away from the judgment even <laughs> of those statements as self-defeating and see them for what they are, then you have an opportunity to uh, recognize your own internal optimism and your own sort of powerful belief in yourself. Um, and I was out visiting the team on Friday and I was talking about motivation um, and I'm going to send this to them as well. So if you're one of those people who was listening to me this past Friday, I hope you enjoyed this expansion on some of the stuff I was talking about. I think that many people motivate themselves as I frequently do with statements that capitalize on our own inherent capacity for fear and pessimism. And they include those have to, need to, if I don't statements. And that's natural to do. Um, and if you don't think about them, if you just try to not think about them, then they, they end up taking up most of the real estate in your mind. And um, I don't think that's an overall positive for, for most people. But if you can start to think them through a little bit, discuss them with other people, you know, <laughs> write in your journal, um, talk with a coach. Okay. There's, there's an implicit level of optimism in them. If you know where to look for it. And when you recognize your own inherent optimism, you can actually say it out loud and you can seed it within your mind and start to grow it. And the act of doing that, it expands your capacity for what you can achieve before you get to this level where you turn a little bit in on yourself. So, right, like you can turn your pessimism into fuel for further um, expansion of your own motivation and optimism and hope and all those things. Um, that's all for today. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you really appreciate this one and I hope you find listening to this helpful. Um, I am currently uh, adding some one-to-one -one coaching for athletes and also for coaches who want to learn how to apply positive psychology to their practice, um, you can reach me by filling out a contact form on my website, christycoach.com. You can DM me on my Facebook page, CD Swim Coach, or Instagram.